The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome everybody here in the room. Welcome everyone at home watching online. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ today. And for those of you online, we just want to say how much we dearly miss you, we love you, and we continue to long for the time when we can all safely be together right here. We are continuing in Revelation this morning, and three weeks from now, we're going to actually finish up Revelation in chapters 21 and 22, but two weeks from now, November 15th, we have a guest preacher coming to join us, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's Patrick Mead. Uh, Some of you have probably heard of him. He's pretty renowned amongst our tradition as a preacher in Churches of Christ, and he's going to come share with us in Bible class in the morning at 9.30 and during the sermon as well. So I'm very excited to have Patrick with us. I know he's going to lend a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience. So I hope you'll invite somebody, join us November 15th, two Sundays from now. Patrick Mead is going to come join us here at the Springs. But this morning, we continue our journey towards the end of Revelation in chapter 18, and we are going to be in verses 1 through 5 and 17 through 24. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his splendor. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great. It has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt of every foul spirit, a haunt of every foul bird, a haunt of every foul and hateful beast. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you do not take part in her sins and so that you do not share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. For in one hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafarers and sailors and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, With such violence, Babylon the great city will be thrown down and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and minstrels and of flutists and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And an artisan of any trade will be found in you no more, and the sound of the millstone will be heard in you no more, and the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more, for 
Your merchants were the magnates of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in you was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slaughtered on earth. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we give you thanks today. We come together this morning thankful for your supper, Lord. Thankful for your provision and thankful for your word. We thank you for this body. We thank you for your grace. And we ask, Lord, that you would illuminate the truth of your gospel, that you would reveal, unveil your truth to us this morning. I ask for the gift of preaching. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The city was like a character in the movie. Has anybody ever said that to you? Anybody made that observation, maybe after you watched a movie with them, or you heard a film critic allude to this, saying that the movie you just watched, that the city itself was almost like a character in itself. I think people say this from time to time when we watch movies where the city is so integral, so vital to the story that it takes on this kind of life of its own. It has its own persona, and it's really almost like the city is a member of the cast. You know, you think of Los Angeles in La La Land or Gotham City in The Dark Knight, Casablanca in Casablanca. The city itself is almost like a character. And that's a bit like what's happening in the book of Revelation. In Revelation, we have the story, essentially, of two cities' intention. Two cities that are so important to the story of Revelation that they've been portrayed as actual characters, as people. So in a few chapters, we're going to get to finish out the book of Revelation, looking at the city of the new Jerusalem, God's holy, heavenly city that's portrayed as a bride. And this morning, we're talking about the city of Babylon, who is portrayed in this chapter, 18, and the one that Cassie read in 17, as a prostitute. Now, John makes pretty explicit to us what Babylon really is. Babylon is the city of Rome, right? He says that it's seated on the famous seven hills of Rome. His audience would have known this, and he's made it quite explicit that Babylon is Rome. And Babylon is portrayed as a prostitute. New Jerusalem is portrayed as a bride. Because the story of Revelation is the story of these two cities' intention. And in many ways, that's really the story of Scripture, too, isn't it? The story of the Bible, the story of the Christian faith could be portrayed as this tension between the city of man and the city of God, the earthly city and the heavenly city. In fact, that's exactly how St. Augustine framed his famous work from the 5th century called the City of God. Augustine set out to tell the story of human history by talking about it as the tension between the earthly city and the heavenly city. And here's what St. Augustine says about these two cities and their origins. He says, 
the two cities were created by two kinds of love. The earthly city was created by self-love, reaching the point of contempt for God. The heavenly city, by the love of God. The earthly city glories in itself. The heavenly city glories in the Lord. Babylon is that earthly city that glories in itself. Babylon is that earthly city founded in self-love, even to contempt for God, opposition to him. Founded in self-glorification. Founded in pride. And it's because it is founded in pride that Babylon must be given to destruction. And that's exactly the scene we have here in chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. John says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his splendor. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt of every foul spirit, a haunt of every foul bird, a haunt of every foul and hateful beast. Babylon the great city. It's called great. And now it's not so great because it's fallen. It's been judged and it's been given over as some cities that fall to the beasts that come in and the birds and the unclean spirits that have inhabited this fallen city. Because Babylon is founded in self-love and glorification. And that's the way Babylon is portrayed in Revelation at the end of the Bible. But that's also the hint we get about Babylon at the beginning of the Bible, right? All the way back in Genesis chapter 11, where we get the story of what? The Tower of Babel. It's the same Hebrew word in Babel. That's in Babylon, right? And what does the Tower of Babel story tell us in Genesis 11? That the whole earth had one language and the same words, And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. The tower depicted in the Tower of Babel story is supposed to be apparently an allusion to those famous ziggurats of ancient Babylon. Because Babel is a kind of embryonic Babylon. We see the same characteristics here in Genesis that we do in Revelation. It's a city founded on making a name for itself. Let us make a name for ourselves. That means, let us stand independent of Yahweh. Let us stand and have glorification and exalt ourselves and not need the God of Israel. This is the way that Babylon is founded in Genesis. As a city that doesn't seek the good of God's heavenly city, but wants to build its city to heaven. Because it's founded in self-love. That's Babylon in Genesis. 
And all the way in Revelation, we see that its seduction has reached not just its own city, the city of Rome, but Babylon has spread its plague to the nations. Look at verse 3 from chapter 18. It says, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury. Every nation has been implicated in the sins of Rome, the sins of Babylon. All nations, all peoples. And that goes for the first century, and in a sense, that also goes for today. Right? Every human community struggles with the sins of Babylon, struggles with the sins of the city of Babel. Right? Every human community struggles with this need for self-exaltation and glorification, struggles with this need to stand independent of God, to stand even in opposition to Yahweh. And as we've seen in Revelation, it's not so much about reading the book and finding one definitive beast, one definitive antichrist, empire, Babylon, right? But Revelation is written to the first century and to today. Right? It's, it's written to the Babylon in every time and place, right? To the, the sins that so easily seduce us in the city. In other words, wherever a city is opposed to God, there is Babylon. Wherever a city stands opposed to God, wherever a human community settlement stands opposed to God, that's Babylon. Right? Where, where human communities are given to violence and the sword, that's Babylon. Where the rich oppress and exploit the poor, where limitless license leads to unfaithfulness, where injustice reigns, where lies and deceit are the common language, that's Babylon. Every city founded, every human community that wrestles with this need for self-exaltation, that's Babylon in every time and place. And so, in a sense, the church is on this pilgrimage through time and in every time and place, we encounter Babylon in different forms and guises. So what are we to do? What is the church to do about the Babylon in every time and place? Well, there's two commands from the Lord in Revelation chapter 18. There's two commands to the people of God. The, the first one I want to look at comes at the end in verse 20. It says, rejoice over Babylon's fall. Rejoice, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. God is judging every human society. God is judging against the forces of evil that oppose him in the world, and that's cause for rejoicing. That's cause for celebrating, right? As, as Ben put it so eloquently last week, judgment is not about despair in the Bible. Judgment is not about that in Revelation. It's about hope. 
judgment is cause for hope and even for rejoicing, right? Ding dong, the witch is dead. Babylon has fallen. God is bringing about his good judgment. But we do struggle with that judgment, don't we? Especially in scripture, right? We see these terrifying passages in some of the prophets in Revelation, and, and it's, it feels harsh. It, it feels strange and disturbing. But I think we do need to remember who these texts are written to, right? Remember, Revelation is sent to a small Christian community scattered throughout Asia, a fledgling minority group. And you have to imagine with me, the only way that these Christians could have ever seen Rome falling is with cataclysmic apocalyptic events. There's no way the might of Rome could have fallen in their minds without incredible exodus-like plagues, without bowls of wrath, apocalyptic armies. This is written about judgment to their imaginations. And so judgment is good news. Judgment is good news. Even though we hear that word, and I think sometimes we hear it negatively, right? We hear judgment and we think narrow-minded or cruel, judgmental. And in that sense, I think judgment is a little bit like the word discriminate, right? We hear the word discriminate, and we usually take its negative meaning, right, of prejudice, of bias, of cruelty, But there's a positive meaning of the word discriminate. Discriminate can mean to distinguish, right? To differentiate, to separate. And so judgment in its positive sense is a little like discriminate in its positive sense, right? Our human judgment that we think of when we hear the word judgment is poor. We judge very poorly. Right? Because we can't see the world clearly. The world is not transparent to us. But God's judgment is good because God discriminates well. God sees the world for what it is. He can distinguish right, between right and wrong, between good and evil, between Jerusalem and Babylon. So God's judgment takes this tangled mess of the world, all of its sin and death and good and bad wrapped up in each and every one of us, and God's judgment separates it. God's judgment in each and every one of us pulls apart that good and evil, and he distinguishes. He says, that's wheat and that's chaff. He says, that's good and that's bad. That's Jerusalem and that's Babylon. And that is why judgment is good news. Because when God judges, we will finally see the world clearly for the very first time. And we will see that he loves us. That's why the judgment of God is good. Church, we have to imagine and know that God's judgment is going to be far greater, far more perfect than our human fallen imaginations could possibly conceive. And so God tells us to rejoice when Babylon is judged. But there's one more command beyond just rejoicing when Babylon is judged. 
Back in verses 4 and 5, John says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you do not take part in her sins, and so that you do not share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Come out of her, my people. This is another command. God's saying to his people, come out of Babylon, right? Go into Jerusalem. Come out of Babylon. And we have to wonder when we hear this, what does he mean exactly? Is this a, is it a physical move? Is God asking us to make an actual geographical move, right? Uh, we are, of course, if you haven't heard, coming up on a presidential election this Tuesday, and around this time, maybe you've heard a lot of people typically threaten to leave the country, right, if their person doesn't win. Ever, ever heard anybody do that? Maybe you have. Maybe you're thinking about it. I actually, I think most people aren't very serious about following through on it, but I have a cousin who actually did a number of years ago when her guy didn't win, she moved to New Zealand, which... I know she was being sincere, but honestly, I would just look for any reason to move to New Zealand because it's amazing. Is that what God's calling us to when he says come out of her? Is he, is he calling people to an actual geographical uprooting? I don't think so. And here's why. I think this is written again to churches in Asia Minor. Right? These are Christians that didn't live in Rome itself, in Babylon. They lived in a province out in Asia Minor, seven churches. And so what God seems to be calling them to is not necessarily a move of geography, but it seems that leaving Babylon means living Jerusalem now. Come out of her, my people, means leaving Babylon is living Jerusalem now is rejecting all of the, the seduction of the city of self-love, all of the vices of Babylon, all of the values of Babylon, right? is rejecting the injustice and promiscuity, is rejecting all that Babylon stands for in its own exaltation, and living Jerusalem now, living in light of the coming of God's holy city to earth. That is what God means when he says, come out of her, my people. And it doesn't mean that we forget our neighbors around us. Right? Come out of Babylon doesn't mean that we ignore our neighbors living in the earthly city. No, it means that we leave Babylon behind in order to witness to them the love and coming justice of God's kingdom. We leave behind the ways of Babylon so that they can begin to see, to distinguish, to separate, to judge, and see the ways of God in the world founded on the love of Christ. We leave the opportunities of Babylon. We leave lost possibilities behind. And instead, we live by the ways of Jerusalem here and now, even when it means suffering. And we do that because that's precisely what the slain lamb has done. Jesus 
has left the city in order to suffer and die on behalf of the world. In fact, Hebrews tells us that in chapter 13, verse 12, Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Living in Jerusalem now doesn't mean we forget the earthly city. Quite the contrary, it's the exact motivation for doing good and sharing with those in need is offering this sacrifice of suffering, leaving the city of Babylon and living Jerusalem now. Because that's precisely what Jesus did. And it says that we pledge our allegiance to him and to his name. Like Babel, like Rome, like Babylon, wherever it's found, we don't seek the exaltation of our own name. Seek to be loyal to the name of Jesus Christ. Because He is the one who can see. He is the one who can judge, who can separate the wheat from the chaff in our lives, who can separate the Jerusalem from the Babylon. And He does that by judging justly. Church, we leave Babylon to live Jerusalem now as resident aliens, wherever we are, awaiting the new Jerusalem as we shun the trappings and luxuries of the earthly city. May we come out of Babylon, wherever we are, and give our full allegiance to the God who judges justly, because that is good news. Church, let's stand and praise that God together.